Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 53 of the Corona Diaries and we are back the way we were. The way we were. Yeah. <laughs> After the excitement of Thursday. Mm. Uh, the excitement of Thursday, which was, which was lovely, wasn't it? It was absolutely great. Yeah, it was brilliant and very well received. I had a lo- yes. loads and loads of messages. Uh, some saying, can Ian be at all of them? But uh, I would say yes, but then he'd start asking me for money. So I'm not. I'll just have him now and again for free. Yeah, that's how we like it. (laughs) Uh, Now and again for free. Now we've we've broken that barrier. Um, You know, do we have another band member on at some point in the future? Well, uh, there was a little bit of a, why why hasn't he asked me then thing, you know. So I'm I'm going to let that simmer for a bit. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and then call it the favourites. <laughs> Pete Pete Trousers says he's up for it, right? Uh, already, um, right? Because I saw him giving giving me that look, like what's going on there? Then when I was talking ah. to Ian about it, ah. so I think I think Pete'd be up up for a, having a natter, and he's quite amusing. He's quite amusing. <laughs> Maybe you you want to see what gifts start coming your way. Gifts? Yeah, well, maybe if Pete appears today with a Caramac, completely, you know, without any kind of ask or anything, that he just yeah. he just slides a slides a four finger Kit Kat over at you. It would be a first. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a wonderful sketch that Victoria Wood does where she says that somebody's. Just, Surprised her by sliding a chocolate eclair into one of those machines while she was having her passport photos taken. Uh, I don't know why it makes me think of that, but it just did for a moment. Um, she was a genius. Sadly missed, Victoria Wood. Pete's um, not really known for wanton acts of generosity. Is he not? <laughs> I'll say no more. Right, we'll leave that one where it is. Where yeah. it is. But yeah, you want to just. I know the value in. of. of of um, of a halfpenny, or any or any of them, would you arrive one day and somebody said, "Oh, I've been baking. I've brought. I've just brought some brownies in." No, no. French Frenchie does that now and again, and also we get rum cakes from um, the Cayman Islands uh, from um, Carmen. There's a, a lady called Carmen, and she is one of the purples, and she lives in the Cayman Islands, and she's perfectly delightful. And she sends rum cakes to the racket club periodically. So you'll sometimes walk into the kitchen, there'll be a rum cake. Uh, sometimes there'll be, you know, jelly sweets and things that um, Viking stationery, they send <laughs> free things to Frenchie. <laughs> and he puts them in the kitchen. 
Um, but it's not because they're fans, then. <laughs> no, and the, the the band the band don't really. I mean, Mark's very generous. I mean, to the point where, well, no, he is. He's generous. He he seems to have no notion of of the price of things or the cost of things, you know. And he will, you know, if 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 he lends you a tenner, he'll he'll have forgotten he's lent it you as he gives it you. Um, Rothers is uh, Rothers is generous too, but you should never lend Rothers money because you'll never get it back. Not not because he's tight, just because he'll never get around to it. Right. Uh, so I've learned not to lend Rothers money. And Pete is um, very very careful. There was a great moment on the last American tour where we were all on the tour bus and Pete, Pete came down first thing in the morning and sporting quite a, quite a radiant pair of core blimey trousers. And uh, I said, oh, good trousers, Pete. And he went, yeah, he said, I was walking down the street yesterday and I saw these um, core blimey trousers in the window of a shop for $20. He said, and do you know, I walked down another three shops and I got these for 10 and I nearly died laughing. So, you know, he's a, he's a man who'll walk the extra mile to get $10 off, off, his, tr- off his trousers. <laughs> I mean, $10, hell, you can't get a cup of coffee for that. <laughs> so oh. he's careful, he's careful. Right, right, I like that, I like that. Well, let's see what happens, see if Pete starts, you know, bringing you an, uh, an apple or whatever you in and see if he's trying to work his way into your affections. To be, to well, be the if next... he does it, I'll know he's found it. <laughs> These were on buy one, get one free. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure we can put any of this out. Oh, <laughs> it'll be fine. He'll, he, he, wants to be, he wants to be on the show. He'll take it in the spirit in which it's dished out. Um, <laughs> right. But back to 52, which obviously went down very, very well. Um but I'm, I'm, that will be disappearing off Facebook anytime soon. But it, it is, uh, I did post it um, on Patreon last night for all the purple folk, uh, where it will, it will remain on a, on a, a private uh, unlisted link. Um, so if you were thinking about going purple, there's another reason to go purple because we also <laughs> post things like that. And, and H is now smiling at how beautifully I've worked that in. Uh, no, she's laughing at the thought of a person going purple. <laughs> person going purple. Well, hang on, hang on a minute. There's a section of diary where I think that happened to you for the first time. <laughs> so we're going to come to that in a second. Um, right. So what we're going to do today? <laughs> I'll let him laugh in the background. What we're going to do today, I don't know if you remember, but a few episodes back, we did an episode where we took a couple of sections in Diary and we split it into smaller little readings and then we talked about different bits because it was quite a momentous section of Diary. And we're going to do that today. And the reason why we're going to do that today is because the next um, few sections of Diary are about a trip to Mexico at the end of the Brave Tour. So it's just hit September, uh, September 94, um, and you're in Mexico for quite a, f- a number of days. And the previous trip to Mexico, which I guess must have been the holidays tour, which was July 92, had been quite momentous, hadn't it? Yeah, it had been fantastic. We we played the National Auditorium for the first time 
and um, one of the, I mean, up the, with Paris Zenith, it's my favourite room to play on on Earth. Um, it's just it's just a phenomenal theatre. It holds about eight thousand people, but because of the way it's designed, they're they're all kind of wrapped around this huge stage, so you feel close to everybody, which you normally don't in a, in an auditorium that that holds that many people. There's a, there's a, it feels like a small gig, even yeah. though it's a big gig. And the stage is massive, so it's like a big playground. You know, for me, I can just stomp about. In fact, I can run around um, because there's there's room to get up to speed, and the the sound of the place is great. If you if you take your monitors out and just listen to the sound of the room, it's fantastic on stage. Um, you you kind of hear the PA. So it's it, it's a it's a place to look forward to playing, and we went back um, on the Brave tour to do it again. Um, I was really looking forward to it, um, but unlike the first time we'd gone, we didn't have our own equipment with us. We don't we'd taken the decision to hire a lot of equipment. And oh dear, that was a bad decision. <laughs> well, well, don't go too far because we're going to cover this over the over the. So what we're going to do? We're going to do four extracts of diary over two episodes. We're going to do the first two today, and then the second two next time for fifty-four. And we're going to go into Mexico in a bit of detail because quite a lot happened in those few days. Um, quite a lot does happen in Mexico. It's y- one of those places. It's one of those places. And the other thing is, I was trying to, I was thinking back that. Oh my God! TCDs are starting to merge into into one because I can't remember Mexico when we talked about it on the holidays tour. But then I've gone back and looked in the diary, and that's because it's only actually half a page long. So even though it made an impression on you first time round, it didn't actually take up a lot of diary space. So N- no, sometimes that can be a, an indicator of what a good time I was having. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I sit and write the diary? Off out? I'm off not, out. Not likely. Not likely. Yeah. So we'll not start. With this hangover. <laughs> That's a bit like that fast show sketch, isn't it? With what? my reputation. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll start with the very first the very first bit. You've got a day off. It's the first of September. Um, diary reading coming for you now, folks. And then we'll have a little bit of chat about that. Then another diary reading. Then a little bit of chat about that. Got the vibe? Perfect. Right, over to you then, H. Right, here we go. Thursday, 1st of September, Mexico City, day off. Bloody hell, September already. I managed to more or less sleep until around 6.40am, which wasn't a bad effort. I got up and showered before phoning home. Dizzy seemed better in her spirits today. She said it had rained in England since I left and that everyone felt low all day yesterday. Today is Sophie's first day back at school and she'd gone in this morning without any trouble. She had said to me she was looking forward to going back, something I can't recollect ever feeling, I spoke to Niall, who was his usual pleasant and incoherent self. Dizzy said to call her on Saturday to let her know how the show went. 
made my way downstairs for breakfast and ran into Jack, who joined me. We chatted about the forthcoming album and whether or not we would manage to record it in less time than Brave. I said I thought we might. Time alone will tell. Came back upstairs to listen to the compilation tapes and kill time until Mexico City is up and running. It had been, of course, since six o'clock, but I was waiting for the shops and the markets to open. Arranged a trip to a market with Ian and met him in the hotel cafe at eleven o'clock. We took a cab to a couple of silver markets. I was on the lookout for a silver chain for Sue's old locket, which I'd brought along with me. The taxi driver was something of a tour guide. He pointed out monuments and explained the ins and outs of Mexico's extraordinary history in a heavily accented, broken English, interspersed with unpronounceable and impossible to remember Mexican words. It once took me a whole day to remember Teotihuacan, although I did manage to extricate Zapata from his enthusiastic account of the 1910 revolution. I found a suitably unusual chain for Diz and we returned to the hotel, dropping in at the Hard Rock Cafe, just round the corner, for a snack and chatting to the friendly staff. Returned to the hotel to do a telephone interview with Radioactive FM and bumped into Fernando Acev, journalist and photographer, who invited me to the opening night of an exhibition of his rock and roll photographs at a gallery across town tonight at seven o'clock. I said I would pop in and have a look and return to my hotel for a mid-afternoon snooze. I'm still chipping away at the jet lag. Got up, showered and tried to get hold of Nick to let him know I was going out, but I couldn't find him, so I hailed a cab and we drove across town in a rainstorm. When we arrived at the address of the gallery, the rain was so torrential that neither the driver nor myself could see out. So we drove up and down the street several times, squinting through the glass, before we found the Galleria Septembre, I think, which was full of people and a hive of activity. As I entered, I wondered if Bono had followed me in. The place fell silent with a momentary gasp, before a rush of flashlights popping, and everyone in the place wanting my autograph and their picture taken with me. I wandered around, perusing Fernando's pictures as best I could, while being talked to by everyone at once. Mark K turned up, and I said hello and exchanged mutual what-are-you-doing-heres. I was invited to cut the tape, declaring the exhibition open, so I made a little speech and did the honours. Chatted to everyone, really everyone, for an hour or so before deciding to leave, so Fernando ordered me a cab. While I was waiting for it to arrive, Raimundo from the record company appeared and told me he had been at the hotel. John A had gone to bed, the crew had gone to check out Saturday night's club venue and no one else was coming out and did I fancy some dinner? I did, so we went over to Zona Rossa and hit an excellent Italian before going over to La Diabla, the club we are to play on Saturday. It's one of those places which comprises a series of different rooms joined by a central entrance hall in an old building which has been refurbished and decorated with Gothic murals and the like. The stage is very small and it's not really a good club for a show, but it's a good club to have a party. I made a mental note to have a party on Saturday and not to worry about putting on a show. It'll be all right. Bumped into Nick, Tim and Cod 
and had my ear royally bent by the club owner, who is very excited about our decision to play. Had a couple of Coronas and returned to the hotel around 1.30, whereupon my lavatory overflowed all over the bathroom and into my hotel room. Nice. Put bath towels on the floor and went to bed. And for the first time in 53, we're back. Um, and that's the first day um, of uh, the Mexico uh, junket. Um, and though it's not the gig day, there's still interesting bits go on. I think the first thing I was going to ask you, and this doesn't really talk about Mexico, but it talks, it's something that's come through the diary a few times and it came through in the conversation with you uh, when I was talking to Gillian Sue. And it was that juxtaposition with your home life. Um, because you'd been on the phone, I think, to to um, to Sue, and first day back at school, everything at home was a bit flat, and, and it seemed to come across in the first paragraph of of the diary. Yeah, and that particular trip uh, when I left home, you know, sometimes I'd leave I'd leave home to go on tour, and and everybody would be in a pretty good mood. Um, and then sometimes, you know, I guess if I'd been touring a lot and they were all a bit worn out by it, um, I'd be, I'd be getting ready to go out and, and I'd really feel that everyone was subdued, you know, and Dizzy would be subdued at the thought of, probably at the thought of coping alone again for another period of weeks, um, you know, whilst I was out in the world having a whale of a time in, in her head. I mean, I wasn't always having a whale of a time, but no. that's the feeling, you know, that that you know, that's what I would have felt if I was her. Um, and Niall was at that age where even the sight of a suitcase would, would, would start him off crying mm. and screaming because he knew... I mean, he used to hide my shoes. You know, I'd go on the, I'd go, I'd go to the front porch to put my shoes on, and they weren't there, and he'd hidden them. Um, it was, you know, his way of keeping me at home, um, which, which, which is really sad. Um, so there would always be a little bit of a feeling of dreadful guilt as I drove to the airport, and would slowly wear off as I got. Um, got into the swing of the tour and everything that was going on, um, but it it was it was tr- it was so much harder back then. We used to tour for longer, and there just wasn't the the free comms. And internet comms that there are now. No, there was the hotel phone, you know, at thirty quid every five minutes from Mexico. So on the one hand, you know, uh, I'd know. I, I know I'd absolutely got to phone home and see how everybody was. The chances were that they'd all be really miserable, which isn't a phone call you want to make, really. And then there was also the knowledge that it was costing such a lot of money, but at the same time you couldn't go, oh, you feel dreadful, oh, well, got to go. (laughs) You felt on and bound to stay on the line for half an hour and, try and, you know, lighten things up a bit somehow, which I, I, I usually couldn't do. Um, and then I get presented with the, the £100 bill when I checked out the hotel the, the next day, which was a lot yeah. of money in the 90s. 
Well, it's a lot of money now. Yeah, but it was uh, one hell of a lot uh, of money back then. Yeah, back then, yeah. Um, obviously, you're there as what is the end of the Brave Tour. And I think the first, there's a bit in that very first, um, you know, that very first section where you are actually talking a little bit about the next album. So at what point did you start contemplating that something had to come next, that you were getting... Because I guess at the start of a tour or what have you, you're still focusing very much on Brave, aren't you? But at some point, it it must start to creep in. Yeah, I mean, it, it never really... It, it's never really that far away. You kind of have a, a feeling of... Um... I don't know, relief and victory when you get an album mixed, you know, if, if you're happy with it and it sounds great, you sort of feel good about that and happy that, that it had turned out the way you'd hoped it had turned out. I mean, nothing's ever quite right, but you... you I remember hearing Brave thinking, particularly Runaway, I put Runaway on and just thought, God, that sounds fantastic. Megan's done a great job in the mix. Um but it's not long really usually you're you're on the road with with um, touring an album and someone in the band in the minibus will go what about the next one then and i'd kind of feel my heart sink mm. <laughs> um because it is like um like a thundercloud coming towards me because i'm responsible for all the words and I want it to be great all the time. But, there's, mm. but um, with each successive record, um, you, you it feels like the, the the sheer cliff face that you've got to climb gets higher and steeper. Um, partly because you think, well, I, haven't I said everything I wanted mm. to say? Have I got anything left? Um and also because you want to try and make each recording better than the last one, if you succeed in that, the pleasure is short-lived because you realise you've, you've got to get above that next time. So it is you know, it's the, the, the dilemma of any perfectionist really is, is, is that you're never really happy and that you always know you're going to have to beat whatever you've done in the past. Yeah. And I suppose, I mean, there's a there's a line in um, in in the John Collins's separate out book about the fact that every album um, you could say is a little bit of a reaction to the one before. So they all do change and they all do move on. They have a slightly different sound and what have you. Now, whether whether it's a reaction or whether just the fact that they do develop and move on, you you know, I I don't remember you ever having produced two albums on the spin that sound the same. Everything feels, sounds different. Everything does move everything on. And, of course, that's a huge pressure. Yeah, I mean, I guess that, that pressure is more on the band and the producer than it is on me. Um, mm. the, my pressure is, is all to do with words and, and what mm. the songs are going to mean and keeping it real and keeping it uh, truthful. In fact, I've... I've I'm working on a song at the moment for the forthcoming Marillion album, which is about that. It's mm. it's it's about that predicament. So uh, you'll you'll hear you'll hear me express that in a nutshell if 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 
that if the song makes it to the album, we are working mm. on one, talking about that dilemma. Billy Joel, the very the very last song he wrote on the last album he released was called Famous Last Words that just basically said, you know, I've said all I've got to say, <laughs> um, which was, you know, and, and to be fair, he hasn't, he hasn't recorded since, um, you know, and, and I could see that because 15 albums in or what have you, you just come, I suppose you, you, you arrive at that point, don't you? Yeah, I think I think maybe you do. Maybe you um, reach an age where you're too old to get into the kind of trouble <laughs> that you. See, I've got faith in you. <laughs> yeah, that was wishful thinking. I, th- I think you'll be fine. I'm not. That's not the thing that's troubling me. <laughs> Anyway, back to back to to Mexico. You 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 bumped into a, a photographer and ended up disappearing off to the opening of an exhibition. Yes, I first met Fernando Asev in London. I think he he's a photographer, but he's also a journalist. Like so, which makes him a photojournalist, I suppose. And we would do um, promotion days in hotel rooms or whatever in um, London. And I remember meeting him, I think, at the Halcyon Hotel one day um, to do, in, uh, you know, during the interview schedule for one of the albums. And that's when I first met him. And then I think he showed up in, I think he showed up in Chicago. I think that was the second time I ran into him. I thought, oh, that's that Mexican bloke again. I had a bit of a chat with him. And he's a very personable and pleasant bloke, so we used to have a little bit of a natter whenever I was around him. And then, um, and that, so I think it was the third time, if not the fourth, that I'd ever met him, when I actually met him in his home city, in, mm. in Mexico City. And so we were already kind of, you know, in, in that grey area between acquaintances and friends at that point. And he and he's you know he, he he always seemed to know where the bands were staying. I think he'd got mates in all the right places. He'd got mates at the promoters, the rock and roll promoters. So they would tip him the wing on where bands were staying, and he would turn up at the hotel bar and you'd run into him there. And on this occasion, I think he just sent a message through either to my room or I'd run into him, and he said he'd got a, a an exhibition. Um, actually, beginning that evening, um, with a with a, a you know a, the premiere or preview exhibition, whatever you'd call it, and would I did I fancy coming over? So I said, yeah, that sounds like a crack. I've got nothing else to do. And when I got there, um, it was all full of uh, you know Mexico's glitterati. And they all, to my amazement, they all got very excited when I walked into the room. So uh, that 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 was kind of strange, um, mm. and a little little taste of proper fame, which is nice for a couple of hours. Mm. And it it seems to be that you know happens a lot when you land in South America, I suppose. Yeah, I think particularly back then, uh, I guess the first time anyone had come across me, they were seeing me, you know, on on festival stages with yeah. maybe 50,000 people in and 
So then you, you you get more media and you're just perceived to be a big star. Um, and so people get more excited when they run into you. I like the idea of a Bono moment. I thought that was quite nice. Yeah, that's exactly how you feel. You feel, oh, oh, I'm Bono all of a sudden, you know, for for the next 10 minutes or, or whatever. <laughs> I, I was at the um, – there's a big music – show called the nam show that goes off every january and i was there a couple of years ago and it was the opening day and it's a real the convention center is huge and and there was this whole buzz went around the convention center because um you two were playing on the roof wow. and everybody appeared and and there's tens of thousands of people go to this event and, and we're all stood outside in the in the california sunshine and and there's and there's you two playing on the roof um and it, and it, you know they played a couple of tracks and the buzz really went round and and then they opened the show and we said oh, you know let's let's go up and see if we can catch a glimpse and we get up there and there's you two there and they're having photos taken with people and then and you get closer and you think oh, this is amazing i can't believe how does this show manage to make this happen and then you get a bit closer and you realize that the edge is about 14 and a half stone uh, and Bono looks nothing like Bono, and it's just a really good tribute act that looked fantastic when you were downstairs looking five floors up. But when you got there, but there was still a queue of people wanting to have the photos taken. With them. <laughs> so the well, photo that... to have over Nam was the photo with his his third rate tribute act. <laughs> well, uh, I guess that must be the attraction of being in a tribute act. You know, maybe you get a little bit of the feeling of. You know the reflected glory. Yeah. Um, do you get invited to those things much? Those kind of, you know, sort of openings or exhibitions or previews or premieres or. No, no, I don't. I think I've been a two in my life. Was that one, Fernando? We we were invited to. God knows how we got invited to that. We were invited to Wayne. You know the Wayne's World pre pre premiere. In um, Leicester Square. Um, why the hell did they invite us to that? I've got no idea, but we were invited to the Wayne's World premiere and, and Brian May was there and, and Roger, I think, from Queen because of the Bohemian Rhapsody moment <laughs> and all of that. Brilliant. Uh, um, and what's his face was there? What's he called? Mike Myers. Mike Myers. He, he, got, he was there and he got up and he made a speech and introduced the film. Uh, and he made a funny speech. So how come we were invited, unless unless Myers was a bit of a fan or somebody was a fan, I don't know, but we were all invited and we went there. Um, and that is get... really really it. I've, I've never been what about to the, any... What about the Alan Partridge thing? Did you get invited to that? Because they mentioned uh, no. a Marillion drummer. Did you not get invited <laughs> to that? I think... Um, I think Stephanie Bradley went. Right. <laughs> One of the girls who works for us sometimes. I think she she went along, but we maybe we were invited and I just didn't go. I don't know if Mosley went. Right. Okay. Fine. Right. Well, look, that gets us that gets us first day. So that's first of September. So we'll we'll plow on with the second section for today, uh, which uh, strangely enough is the is the 2nd of September. Who knew? Um, so I'll pass back to you. Yes, here comes the 2nd of September. A little trip to the pyramids.
Friday, 2nd of September. Mexico City, Auditorio Nacional. Went to sleep at 2 and woke up at 4, 30, 4.30, 4.55, 5.20, 5.55 and 6.20 and gave up trying at 6.45. Jet lag, great. Showered and went downstairs for breakfast, immediately bumping into John, who couldn't sleep either. We had breakfast together, chatted about the forthcoming 12 months, and then Priv arrived, so we joined him. No sooner had we sat down than I noticed the distinctive and dishevelled form of David Hockney at a table across the room. Wow! I was surprised to see him make his way to the buffet table, completely unnoticed by the multinational assembly of hotel guests. Fame is certainly a funny thing. Only death separates this man from the recognition awarded to Picasso and Warhol. I regretted not having the nerve to go across and shake his hand. I could have invited him to the show. After breakfast, I had arranged a lightning trip to the pyramids at Teotihuacan, mainly for the purpose of acquiring more bangles. I've been all over the city and it seems that the ones I already have are only available at the pyramids. It was raining hard and there was some debate as to whether we shouldn't go, but we eventually decided to do it anyway. Only Nick B and I seemed bothered, so we climbed aboard the minibus with Nuri, our promoter's guide, and headed out of town. As we passed the corpse of a third dead dog on the freeway, Nick told me of his experiences backpacking around Mexico and Guatemala nine years ago, where it was common to see dead horses at the side of the road as he rattled along on a bus crammed with people, goats and turkeys. At Teotihuacan, it was still raining, so we conducted our bangle purchases from the open window of the bus, finding what we wanted almost immediately. The rain looked like it might stop, and it seemed a shame to come here and not visit the sun and moon pyramids. So we left the bus and walked along the little parade of shops, where I bought a ring for Sophie and some earrings for Dizzy, before climbing the Pyramid of the Sun in the drizzle. As I puffed and panted my way upward towards the summit of this vast ancient monument, sporting a black rolled-up brolly, proper English gentleman, heart pounding like a boat engine, I couldn't help questioning my sanity. Tonight we play the National Auditorium, my right knee remains injured from Switzerland and I had forgotten my Ventolin. So if I was to drive myself into an asthma attack climbing in this high altitude oxygen lean place, well, there wouldn't be a fat lot anyone could do to help me. Nick and I arrived at the summit, short of breath but on the right side of physical crisis, to find a group of people in anoraks and Nike shoes cross-legged and eyes closed, communing, no doubt, with the ancient energies. I couldn't imagine a sun god getting out of bed to commune across time and space with this lot. Personally, I've sometimes felt magic, or energies, which to me seem to come from somewhere beyond normal experience, but I've yet to feel anything here at the Sun Pyramid. We looked down from the summit, in awe of the scale of this place, trying in vain to imagine it in its own time and thanking my stars I wasn't here then. I suppose a white man with blue eyes would have been made a present to the gods pretty damn quick. Nick and I climbed back down to earth, putting on a brave face for Nuri, who had waited below. Girls aren't stupid. Before returning to the bus, somewhat damp, 
for the return to Mexico City. As we hit the outskirts of town, I remembered hearing that the boxing promoter Don King would today be at the Hard Rock Cafe to promote a forthcoming world title challenge to Mexico and the world's number one Julio Cesar Chavez, who was also to be there. It was too good to miss, so we stopped off for lunch, taking a peek through the door of the club to witness the events taking place. King was on the stage making a showbiz speech. This boy's like a son to me, etc. Yeah, right. Flanked by heavy black guys in mirror shades and expensive suits to his left hand and to his right, Julio Cesar Chavez, track-suited and with the countenance of a mild-mannered Latin American who wouldn't hurt a fly. Not so, evidently. He's never been beaten. We returned to our table to finish lunch and half an hour later, Chavez appeared in the cafe, still track-suited, and glancing around the room, checking the place out. He seemed more approachable than Hockney, but I still didn't have the nerve. And for the second time today, we're back. <laughs> and, and we might name... The episode because it's just come out. He doesn't know it's Aztec from his Inca because <laughs> uh, we were just talking in between the little the little bits of recording. But that'll you've become out, very you've apparent. Me now. You've outed me on the Inca. Well, Aztec-ish. not really. I'm not, I'm not really. But it seems a great name for an episode. Inca. Um, Rhymes with so, Inca. Anyway. Anyway, so you needed a bangle. You needed a specific time. I'm going to have to ask the question, what's so special about this bangle? Well, the first time I went to Teotihuacan um, was the first time I went to Mexico. And when you're in Mexico City with time off, they tend tend to put you in a bus and take you out there. Um, And there's all these little men who sell things to the tourists. And they got these silver bangles. And they'd be in sets of about eight um, which are quite rock and roll, um, with li- funny little symbols stamped into them. And I've, I've still got some here in a drawer. And I, when I was more kind of rock goddish in the 90s, I used to wear them. Um, and and so I'd got... But, be, you know, by now anybody who's listening to this will, will think, well, if Steve H had a load of bangles... You know, it's only a matter of time before he's either lost all of them or, or most <laughs> of them. And that was the case. So so they would keep being left behind in hotel rooms and dressing rooms and God knows, or I'd give them away to people. Um, so I thought, well, next time I'm in Mexico, I'll just go to the, one of the silver markets and get some more. But this, none of the silver markets had them. They had bangles, but they weren't the bangles and I wanted mm. them the same um, so in the end I thought the, the, the only way I'm going to get some more of these is to go to the pyramids again so that was why I went and right. I, I bought a load of them about 16 of them they used to sell them in little sets you know and they would jangle as you when you wore them mm. I could demonstrate if I could be asked to climb over all this crap in my room and pull some out of a drawer but well, maybe maybe you could shove a photo on Instagram because I got my I got my ear bitten a, a little bit the other day by Lucy to ask mm. me to remind you to post a bit more on Instagram. Mm. 
Because apparently she apparently <laughs> apparently she's just a nag she uh, when she asks you. So I got yeah. I got nobbled to see if I'd ask you. So maybe right. maybe maybe you could do an Instagram bangle. Shoot. I'll do an Instagram bangle shoot. There's a t-shirt. All, <laughs> one, a t-shirt. all one word. <laughs> Hashtag the 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 bangles of Instagram. <laughs> so so anyway. You do that and you get there. So just checking I've got this right. You get there. These blokes are around. You buy your bangles. That's fine. You've, you've bought your bangles not far away from where you've got off the minibus. It's all been almost an in-out kind of very time-efficient mm. trip. And it's raining. And it's raining. And then, and then and prophetically, then. <laughs> and you know what's coming, well, as we're here, why don't we go and see the pyramids? Why don't we climb the pyramid of the of the moon? Yeah, yeah. Um, With your brolly, I, I love that line. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um, I think it was because Nick B hadn't been up it, you oh. know. And Nick, Nick, the tour manager, he he'd, he'd come out with me, keep an eye on me, <laughs> keep me out of trouble, and and he wanted to go up the pyramid, and so I'd say, oh, yeah, I'll come with you, but but it is. You know, it is a it's a big mm. old pyramid. Mm. It's not um, it's not a Herculean effort you've got to go to to climb it, but it is. It's not it's not a walk in the park either. It's not a breeze, and in that altitude, you you you're a lot less capable of those things than you you would be here. Mm. Um, so I did arrive at the top sweating and wheezing a bit, and I think he did as well. It, it was the bit when you said, and I'd not brought my inhaler. <laughs> oh, I was halfway up before I questioned the wisdom of that, of course. Are you, <laughs> Thinking, you, haven't I got a show tonight? Is this wise? <laughs> my, knee, my knee's hurting a bit as well. <laughs> only 8,000 people. <laughs> Waiting for me. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm a crumpled heap on the top of a pyramid. Perhaps I should have had a lie in. Yeah, that kind of thing. Does that is that why you were slightly, you know, you weren't that impressed by the people at the top trying to be quite zen? Well, yeah, they they were all there was all they were mostly, you know, uh, American middle-aged women in tracksuits and Nike shoes, all all sort of sitting quiet, all sitting quietly with their eyes closed as they though they were attempting to communicate with the spirits. And I just took one look at him and thought, well, if I was a spirit, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd be bothered. <laughs> well, you made, you made it back down alive, which was which was handy. I did, yes. And the, the, the girl from the pr- promoter's office, of course, was far too smart to do it. Uh, she just waited for us and we got back, back in the bus. And trundled back to Mexico City. It's quite a long trip. It's sort of an hour, an hour or so in the mm. minibus along mm. the. I mean, the roads are all full of potholes and all of that. So you, mm. you kind of bounced around a lot. Um, when we did that video for uh, Sympathy, we did that right. We did that way out of Mexico City, right in the middle of the countryside. And oh my God, did, did it, that took about two and a half hours. I've just been shaken about in the back of a, a a stuffy kind of overheated minibus thing. 
Um, that was hard work, actually. Mm. And the day, the day in question had, had been bookended, or not bookended, but there's there's two bits of there's two bits of kind of celebrity watch in between your trip to the pyramids because you you David Hockney was at breakfast. It blew my mind. We were queuing up at the buffet, and uh, I looked across the room and seated against one of the walls having his breakfast was David Hockney and I just went holy Jesus Christ and I was with the band and I was with John our manager holy Jesus Christ that's David Hockney and they went David who? who what? I never heard of David Hockney because uh, you know. um, <laughs> um, so nobody knew what I was on about and um but it was most definitely him. I mean, he's, he's got a very distinctive sort of vibe, hasn't he, Hockney? And I, I regret not going and saying hi, but then what are you going to say to these people? Yeah. Oh, I'm in a band and you're an artist and you're great. Oh, cheers. Yeah, can, I eat me, can I eat my egg? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like <laughs> what can I possibly say to him? Well, he's really, um, I think he's from Sheffield originally or somewhere. Mm. Yeah, he's, it's the one place I wouldn't have expected him to have rocked up, to be honest. He's well, you know, Ecky Thump sort of a bloke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, that was bizarre. To, of all the places to see David Hockney, what the mm. hell is he doing here? But Mexico's incredibly colourful and vibrant, so maybe it was, you know, maybe it would make more sense him being there than me being there, really. Well, well, yeah, I suppose so. I suppose um, so. So it was bizarre. And then, of course, um, on the way back from the pyramids, we, you know, we popped down the Hard Rock Calf because we'd heard Don King was in there mm. um, promoting a boxing match. And I was eating my burger. I had a burger, we thought might as well have lunch. I was sitting eating my burger and um, Cesar Chavez came out of the room and stood right next to I mean, right next to me, like there, and just sort of looking around, you know, just having a little private moment to himself. He stood there in his tracksuit. I'm thinking, holy shit. And he was, he was, he was a world champion at that point. Mm -hmm. And he didn't look like he'd hurt a fly. I mean, he, he was mm. just, you know, he wasn't like, you know, you see Mike Tyson and you think, mm. there's a world champion boxer. Yes. But this guy was just, you know, mild-mannered, mild pleasant, mm. you know. Um, he was giving off this vibe of, of being a really nice person, mm. uh, checking out the... The interior of the hard rock, and just having a little look around, humming a little tune to himself. As he went, he's like, "Oh, you'd never guess. You would never guess how hard this guy is." You know, <laughs> some some random stranger was to pick on him, they'd regret it. it. And was Don King everything you'd want him to be? Yeah, just a kind of horrible, insincere, mm. showbiz loudmouth, mm. really. That would describe him because he, he was one of those he, you know he was one of those characters wasn't he he was he, he's a, very much of his time well yeah he was like an icon because he had that yeah, sticky that hair. up hair 
Um, so he looked like a cartoon character. Um, don't know if, is he still around? Do you know? I haven't got a clue. Well, he's probably. I haven't got. A bit. I haven't got a clue. Yeah, it must be now. But I haven't got a clue. But he just mm. seemed to be. He was that guy that was. You know. Um, that so, that you know. I don't. I, I, yeah, probably and, and not, probably a gangster. I mean, most you know American boxing promoters. Mm. They, you know, are going to be gangsters, aren't they? Probably. So he was. He he was just stood in the. In the other room, with with all the with all the heavies with the mirrored glasses, <laughs> making a big speech, you know, about the fight. <laughs> I kind of I peeked in through the door and watched through. I thought, wow, you know, Don King, wow, Don King says Ashavez, wow, <laughs> how nuts is this? <laughs> Let's get back to David Hockney. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, we'll leave it there for the first bit of Mexico because we're going to, in, in 54, we'll get on to the show. And also, it's not just one show, is it? It's two shows. Mm. So there's so there's the big show and then there's a little a little club gig that, that ended up being um, the day after. Yes, there's the, there's the money spinner and the just <laughs> a bit of fun. Yes. Except that the, they were in the opposite that way round to what you'd expect. So we'll get on to that next week um, 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 because I think it's it's I think that's a lovely little you know paradox between those two those two shows, and then what we're going to do after because obviously we've got to get to a hundred now as we talked about last week. We, you know the target is now to get to a hundred TCDs, which you'll get along with through the diaries actually. Your target, um, sunshine. <clears throat> yes. Well, I, I don't know anything. if the toothpaste episodes are going to fly. We'll have to wait and see about that. But. Um, but what we are going to do after 54 is we're going to move on to uh, Afraid of Sunlight. Um, right. Because the diary moves on to the, the live, the, the promo and the live gigs for AOS and misses out the recording process. So we'll, we'll try and backfill some of that recording process and we'll probably start that in, in 55. Uh, but until then, we'll bring you more Mexico next week. And uh, are, you, are you off in? Is it studio this afternoon? It isn't, it isn't. I'm going in because um, Tim wants to film some stuff. Right. Um, I think it's more stuff for the website. He did right. that thing the other week where we all, we said what we thought of other members of the band or something, yeah. didn't we? <laughs> I haven't seen that. Um, <laughs> I don't want to know what anybody thinks of me. Um, <laughs> I so can, I'm, I can I'm, watch it and drop them in if you like. <laughs> just... <laughs> Um, so, um, we're, we're doing another, we're doing, I don't know what we're doing. Right. I'm just doing going something. at half past two and he's going to ask me stuff. Right. I'll put a, I'll put a, uh, a festive shirt on and <laughs> have a shave and go and find out what he wants. Well, if you do your, your Instagram bangle shot before then, then, then oh. Lucy's, she'll, she'll be over the moon. Top nag. Right. Okay. I'll. <laughs> I'll go and have a look in the drawer. In my drawer, I'll rifle through my drawers. You've angled drawers. <laughs> <laughs> well, have a nice afternoon. Oh, and congratulations, by the way. You oh. you romped home in the family quiz last night. Oh yeah, yeah, Didn't we you? did. Mainly because I, I, my round was really hard, and everybody else's was dead easy. <laughs> so, well, so, yours wasn't that hard. I got four in your round. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah, I don't I got four in your just just didn't get the didn't get the XTC did I, at the beginning. 
we were just really lucky, Lynetta and I. That, you know, sometimes you go... They oh, land. I know that. Oh, I know this. Oh, we know this. Even mm. knew the bloody movie round, which is a first. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was, that, was, that was lucky. I'd forgotten we'd won the quiz. Yes, yes, reigning champs for the week. Congratulations on that. <laughs> it's reigning champs. Hallelujah. You might you could do that for the crew and cast. <laughs> it's raining, man. Yeah. It is a it is a bit of a brain teaser each week, you know, I get the crew and cast and what am I gonna do? What do I do this week? Yeah. I think you should stretch yourself. Do something from Rocky Horror. <laughs> I don't really know. I did go and see Rocky Horror once. Oh, it's fantastic. Down in uh, it was by Leicester Square, wasn't it? There was that theatre yeah. they always yeah. used to have it. I did go and see it when Tim, what's his face, was, what was he called, Tim Curry? Tim Curry. Did mm. you see Tim Curry? Oh, yeah. the, the original. The, the Frank, Frank and Furter. Yeah, it was ages ago. Though. Oh, he was brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely was brilliant. Probably perverse. <laughs> oh, he, he, that was the role he was born to play, that one. <laughs> Without a shadow of a doubt. Oh, it's superb, Rocky Horror. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah need something from Rocky Horror. Do a bit of sweet transvestite. That'll, that'll set you up for the rest of the day. <laughs> it's my karaoke tune, that. You're right. It's time for you to go now. Yes, I'm going. I'm going now. I'll see you at 54. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Toodaloo. Thank you, Caroline Coleman Ain't it great to be purple Tough for subscribing Everybody Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.